Well, good morning, Genesis Church. It's so good to see so many of you on a day when you could have slept in. I know it's probably tempting when you lose an hour of sleep, but it's good to see fresh faces in the audience today. And if you're new or visiting, I just want to say hello. My name's Jerry. I am the campus pastor here at Genesis Carmel. I'd love to get to meet you and know you a little bit before you leave today. So like Kevin said, swing by the blue tent or find me after service. I also want to say hello to our friends that are tuning in online today. Thanks for joining us. I want to say a special hello to Debbie and Brent Smith. Debbie, it was so good to see you last Sunday when you stopped in after service to pick up the spring break tote. Thanks for doing that. And I want to say a special hello to a young man named Gideon Russell this morning. Gideon, I want you to pay attention because you're going to hear your name a few times in today's message, okay? So glad to have you tuning in with us. Um, As Kevin mentioned, we are in week two of a three-part series that we're calling Greater Still. We kicked us off this initiative last spring right as COVID was hitting. We didn't realize all the timing on that, but here's what's really cool about this series. We are looking back and seeing how God has blessed us over the last 18 years, and we're also looking to the future to see what we believe God is calling us to as a church family. So if you're new or visiting, here's what we would want you to know. Our mission is to help people find their way back to God. That's what we're all about, and we believe that happens when people come into a relationship with Jesus, they begin following Jesus, they're baptized into Jesus, and then they turn around and do the same thing in their life. It's called disciple-making, and that's what we're all about as a church family. And so we're basing this series on a passage of Scripture that might sound familiar to you. It comes from John 3.30 that says this, He, Jesus, must become greater, and I must become less. Now, those words were originally said by John the Baptist, but we believe that this is like the theme of anyone that's going to follow Jesus, and we want to see this to be true for us as a church family as a whole. And so last spring, when we entered into this greater initiative, and we said this is what we're all about, we, wanted, we said we want to try to accomplish some specific things by the Easter of 2022. We said we want to make disciples, reach our cities, and we want to change the world. And we went one step further and we said, we're going to put some dollar amounts behind this because this is what we want to accomplish as a church family. So when we talk about making disciples over two years, we're hoping to raise $4.2 million. And here's the thing. We believe that God has blessed the ministries of our church in a variety of different ways over 18 years. And we believe that he's going to continue to do that. And so when we say $4.2 million, that doesn't just pay the staff and keep the lights on. That is going to help expand our disciple making efforts. When we talk about reaching our cities, we want to have facilities that are engaging to our community, facilities that we can share with the people around us. And so we realized we need to relocate our Noblesville campus. The building is tired and old and worn out. There is always something breaking where we just feel like God is saying, just be patient. We're going to move soon, okay? So part of these funds are going to that, but we also know we need to do the same here in Carmel. We're on a we, we lease this property. It could be sold at any moment in time, and we would be on the clock to look. And so we're setting aside some funds for that as well. And we're also hoping to launch some other campuses in the future. So that's what reaching our cities looks like. And then we also want to change the world. And so we want to set aside some additional funds on top of what we already give away to bless our ministry partners locally and around the world. And one of them is ICF Church in Albania. They are planning churches all throughout Albania and we love helping to fund those projects. We love partnering with our local schools to to meet the needs of at-risk students. And over the last few years here at Genesis, we've seen God do some amazing things where he is raising up families in the foster care system and the safe families and adoption, where our, a lot of our families are, are doing this. And so we have created a fund where we want to help our people do those things and, and, and meet the needs of those children. And so that's what this looks like for us as a church family. But I want you to hear me say this, okay? 
Seven and a half million dollars is a lot. It's a lot, right? It's a huge step of faith, but our primary goal is this. We wanna see 100% engagement. Anybody that calls Genesis their church home, we are inviting and challenging you to take the next step in this generosity journey by, by giving something. And so we've seen many of you that have committed to this greater vision. Last week, I, I told you that our family is making the biggest financial commitment we've ever made. We increased our giving by 50% because we are all about this mission and this vision. And so many of you are as well. We hear stories all the time of kids that are getting jobs and, and they're, they're giving towards Genesis. Uh, we love sharing stories of generosity. Our family's giving, our elders are giving, our staff is giving. And we don't just think of this as giving, we think of it as generosity. And, and on that note, just last week, I heard an amazing story about someone that came to Genesis for the very first time. They were invited by a family member. They live on a fixed income, okay? So they don't have a lot. And what they said was, I believe in this. I want to give to this. And we celebrate that. We think that's incredible. We think that's evidence of God doing things that only God can do. And so if you're curious about how to, how to get started, we've got these commitment cards that we're gonna hand out next weekend, okay? You can get these at the table in the lobby. And this is just kind of lays out what a one-year commitment can look like. And whatever you choose to give, we just wanna say thank you. Anything you give is gonna help us accomplish this goal. But again, we just wanna challenge everybody to take their next step in generosity. Now, if you're tuning in for the first time or if you're new or visiting, you're thinking, great, I came on money weekend. Here's what I want you to hear me say. I just want you to watch. I just want you to, to see if we're about what we say we're about before we would ever ask you to give anything. We're really excited about what God is doing, but we are, we're glad that you're with us. And we just want you to join this journey with us. Now, also, since the beginning of the year, We've been reading through scripture together as a church family, and we've been studying through uh, books one at a time. And last week we talked about the book of Joshua. This week we're gonna transition to the book of Judges. But before I tell you about that, I realized I just forgot to tell you something really important that you need to know that's happening this Tuesday. This Tuesday night, we're having a vision and prayer night. It's coming up uh, this Tuesday, 7 p.m. here at the Carmel campus. And uh, if you're tuning in, you can join us. We're gonna stream that as well. But it's a great opportunity for you to hear more about this greater initiative to ask any questions that you might have, but we're also gonna worship, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna seek God's guidance as we do this thing together, okay? Now I'm back on track. Now I can tell you about how we've been reading through the Bible since the beginning of the year. And last week we talked about the book of Joshua, and we saw this theme of courage emerge, okay? Where, where God said, be strong and courageous, Joshua. And here's what we learned about courage. We said, courage isn't an absence of fear, Courage is choosing to act in the face of fear. This is something that we all need to be reminded of. Courage is, is what we do when we're afraid, especially when it comes to obeying God. We saw this in Joshua. We're gonna see it again today in the book of Judges. And so if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you right now to turn to Judges chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, there's two tables at the very back of the room. You can take a Bible and keep that as our gift to you. But in Judges six, we're gonna meet a man named Gideon. And we're gonna learn about his life today. But let me, let me begin by explaining to you what a judge is. Because if you're like me, when I think of a judge, I think of someone wearing a black gown that sits at, at their desk and they, they preside over legal decisions, right? Well, that's not what a judge was in the Old Testament. A judge was a military or a political leader that God would raise up at a certain time to deliver the Israelites from the hand of their enemies. And here's why that was necessary. There is a cycle that we see repeated over and over and over again 
in the book of Judges. You can think of it as the cycle of sin, and it looks something like this. Judges chapter 1 lays this out, but you'll see it in every other chapter. So what, what happens is the Israelites are following God, but they sin against God, and they sin in very specific ways. They begin worshiping other gods other than the one true God. And so what happens is they fall into judgment, and God allows their enemies to rule over them. And over a span of time, the people cry out for help and they repent and they say, God, please forgive us. And so God will raise up a judge to bring deliverance or salvation. And this is the cycle that is repeated over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And today we're going to meet a judge named Gideon and we're going to learn how he was living in this cycle. The people were living in the cycle of sin and man, they needed courage because they were incredibly discouraged. Listen to how Judges 6.1 begins. It says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So there's the first step in this cycle. They sinned against God. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So they sinned, they enter into judgment. And we even learned that it lasted for seven years. Now the Midianites were terrible. They had been dominating the Israelites, taking all of their food. And the people were so intimidated that some of them were living in caves. They didn't know what else to do. They just wanted to run and hide. So the people cry out to God for help. Send us a deliverer. And I want you to pay attention to how God responds in verse 11. He says this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the tree, I'm sorry, under the oak at Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now let's pull this apart a little bit. First of all, we meet this character, the angel of the Lord. Now pay really, really, really close attention here. Biblical scholars refer to this as a Christophany. And that's just a fancy way of saying it is believed this is Jesus before Jesus took on human form. So Gideon is gonna interact with Jesus, okay? Now the other thing we learn is we learn Gideon is a farmer and he is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now I realize with all the COVID restrictions over the last year, if you're like me, you've probably forgot how to thresh wheat, right? Like I haven't threshed in at least a year. And so let me remind you how, how to do this. What you would do when you would thresh is you would wanna separate the wheat from the stalk or the chaff. And, and typically this was done on a hill or a place where it was windy and you'd break it down and you'd throw it up in the air. The chaff would blow away and you would have edible wheat in front of you, okay? And so that's what Gideon is doing usually on a high place where the wind is blowing. But we learn that Gideon is doing this in a wine press that probably looks something like this, a hole in the ground. This is the opposite of the way that you were gonna do it. So why would Gideon do this? Well, the Midianites had been taking all their food and so he's hiding in this hole in the ground because he doesn't want anyone to take his food. He's doing it on the DL, like literally underground. Now, if you're a parent, you can probably relate to this kind of stress and anxiety. Have any of you parents ever tried to sneak a snack and not want your kids to know, right? I see many of you smiling. If you're not a parent, you're like, what is he talking about? You'll know when you know, right? A Couple years ago, my wife, when my son was three years old, my wife was trying to sneak a fudge stripe cookie, her favorite, and he heard the crinkling of the paper and he literally, this is what he did. I smell chocolate, somebody's got chocolate, right? And she's like, I can't even eat in peace. That's what the Midianites were doing to the Israelites. That's why Gideon's down in this hole. He just wants his food to be his food and not have to have it taken away. And so the angel of the Lord shows up and look at what he says in verse 12. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
Now, when I think of a mighty warrior, I think of, I don't know, William Wallace, the Mandalorian, not somebody hiding in a bunker, trying to hide and hoard their food. But the angel of the Lord shows up and don't miss this. He says to Gideon, I wanna encourage you because you're a mighty warrior. God sees more potential in you when you're afraid than you could ever imagine. Trust me. And apparently Gideon needed this encouragement. Look at this conversation between the angel of the Lord and Gideon. Angel of the Lord says, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. Wah, 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 right? The angel of the Lord replies back, go in strength. Go in the strength that you have to save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then Gideon says, pardon me. I, I hate to be rude, but my clan is, my family is really small and I'm just the baby of the family. Like, I don't think, I don't think I'm the guy you're looking for, right? So the Lord continues to encourage Gideon and Gideon just goes all Debbie Downer. Like, ah, we can't, we shouldn't, why bother? And then pay attention to verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. We're not talking about a tickle fight. We're talking about war, Gideon. You're gonna run them over. I will be with you. You can make this happen, but you gotta rely on me. God is declaring over Gideon. I'm not asking you to do this by yourself. I'm gonna be right there by your side. We're gonna do this together. And this is very similar to what God has said to Abraham and to Moses and to Joshua. I'll be there with you. I'm, I'm with you. It's not about you any, it's about me. I just wanna partner with you in the task. And so even though Gideon's feeling inadequate, even though he's not sure that he can, he knows he's hearing these words, God is at your side. Now, do you need to be reminded of that? Because I know I do. As a husband and as a father, as a pastor, as a human, I need to be reminded that God is with me and he, he is for me. And I know that you do too. Because here's what's true. God knows how weak and how inadequate you feel at school and at work. He knows all of the things that make you afraid. He knows what's going on at home and in your marriage. He knows about the struggles with your kids. He knows about that secret struggle with sin that you don't want anyone to know about. He knows your fears about surrendering your finances and practicing generosity and trusting him in this way. And just like Gideon, God is saying to us, I am with you. I'm not asking you to do it by yourself. I will give you the strength that you need. And we need to be reminded of this today. When we put our trust and faith in Jesus, it's not that we just all of a sudden have all the courage and strength that we need. It's God's spirit living inside of us through faith in Jesus. God gives us his courage. God gives us his strength, the strength of Jesus to do these things. That's Gideon's story. That is our story too. And apparently Gideon needed this kind of encouragement. And so he starts to respond to God in confidence. And this is where the story gets good. God says, I'm gonna give you two tests. The first test, Gideon, here's your first test. I want you to go and to destroy the altar of Baal in your dad's front yard. This is awkward, right? 
my dad is really particular about his yard and I'm not just gonna show up and start breaking things, right? And this is what God says, I want you to go do that, Gideon. And you know what Gideon does? And it, the, the results are pretty amazing. First of all, the people in the village wanna kill him, but Gideon's dad is like, no, you're not gonna touch him. If Baal's a real God, he'll, he'll take up for himself. And here's what's really cool. When Gideon responds to God in faith, his dad wakes up spiritually and says, wait a minute, my son's God is for real. Now there's a very important personal application that we need to make here. When we choose to respond to God in faith, when we live our faith out, when we choose to obey God, guess what happens? The people around us will take note. They will start to engage with God in new and in different ways. This is how people find their way back to God when we live in obedience in ways that they just don't make sense to the world, but God will catch their attention. So that was the first test. Now here's the second test. God says, okay, Gideon, it's time to make war. I want you to get the Midianites out of this land that I have promised to your people. And so God recruits an army, or I'm sorry, Gideon recruits an army of 32,000 people. We've decided we're gonna hire Gideon to go search for gin kids workers for us. He's that good, right? That's a lot. By the way, if you're interested in serving in gin kids, I want you to talk to Lisa Moeller after service. We would love to have you serving there. Serve somewhere, right? This was Gideon's gig all of a sudden. He could recruit people. But an army of 32,000 sounds amazing, except that the Midianite army was 135,000. That's pretty intimidating, right? And so God shows up on the scene after they recruit all these warriors and uh, God's like, hey, Gideon, we got a problem. And Gideon's like, yeah, no kidding, God. They've got 100,000 more guys than we do. And God's like, that's, actually, that's not the problem. Here's, here's your problem. You have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into, into their hands or Israel will boast against me and say, my own strength has saved me. God's like, you got, you got too many guys. God says, send home anybody that's afraid. And I bet Gideon was like, I'll go. I'll, I'll volunteer for this one, right? 22,000 men opt out. And all of a sudden he's down to 10,000. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Gideon, that hole in the ground's looking pretty good. Like, where's my bunker? I just want to go back to my bunker. But God wasn't done. Look at verse four. There's still too many men, Gideon. 10,000 is too many for me. And God pairs the army down to 300 guys that are left. 300 versus 135,000. Those are terrible odds. 450 to one to be exact. Anybody like those odds? Well, Gideon and the Israelites were getting ready to learn a very valuable lesson. And it's simply this, the odds don't matter when God's on your side. The most impossible task, it doesn't matter if God is on your side. And I just wanna take a time out. Maybe you need to hear this today. Maybe you or someone you love has been given a diagnosis and it doesn't look good. It seems impossible. Maybe you're being overwhelmed or overrun by an addiction, or you have a relationship that is falling apart before your eyes, or anxiety and fear are ruling your life. Well, just like Gideon, when the odds seem impossible, I want you to be encouraged because it doesn't matter what the odds are as long as God is for you. Who can stand against you? Now, apparently Gideon, was learning to practice this principle and he was gonna to respond to God in faith in some really big ways. I want you to check out what he does in Judges 7, 16. He divided the 300 men he had left into three different companies. He placed, now pay really close attention. He placed trumpets 
and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches on the inside. Gideon is getting ready to go into the biggest military battle of his life. He is a farmer. He is not a general. And so what does he do? He says, you know what I think we should do? Let's go to Hobby Lobby and let's get trumpets and candles. That's probably a good way to fight a fight, right? And on the surface, this is impossible. This shouldn't work. And it shouldn't. But if the odds are against you, it doesn't matter as long as God's on your side. And so look at what happens next. Verse 19, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch in the middle of the night, just after they, the enemies had changed guard. They blew their trumpets and they broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed their jars. Now listen to this. They grasped the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And here's my favorite part of the story. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. Literally translated, they cried like little kids and they wet themselves. That's actually not a little translation, but that's kind of what's happening here. They freak out a little bit. Now, did you notice Gideon's guys are holding a trumpet and a scented candle. They didn't even have a hand for a sword. But you know what? You don't need a sword when God's for you. You don't need a big army. You just need God. And that's this story. It's, it's amazing. It's incredible. And here's what's really cool. They make a bunch of noise and God uses the chaos to strike fear into the hearts of the 135,000. They turn on one another and they start to kill each other. They did the dirty work themselves. And the Midianites were wiped out of the land and Gideon and his people enjoyed a period of peace. Now that's an amazing story. Somebody needs to make that into a movie. It is incredible. But here's my question for you. What does that have to do with us today in the chaos that is 2021? Well, rewind the clock 365 days. Has there been anything that has threatened to overtake you? Have you found yourself living in your basement or in a bunker? Have you, have you been afraid? Has there been anything that's gone on in the world and you thought, oh man, this is it, we're done? Of course you have, we all have. What, what has robbed you of courage? What is stealing away your courage right now? And maybe like Gideon, you're not living in a hole in the ground, but maybe you've fallen into a pit and you're not really sure how to get out. And so you find yourself saying things like, we will never be able to turn our marriage around. We're never gonna get our kids under control. I'm never gonna overcome this addiction. This is just who I am. What did God say to Gideon? You are not alone. I am with you. He says the same things to you. And I want you to know as a church family, you're not alone. We wanna walk alongside you. We'd love to help you find some counseling, some Christian counseling to help you have these conversations because you don't need to go through this alone and you're not alone. God is with you. Maybe you find yourself saying, man, my life is a financial nightmare. The debt that I have, that I have in front of me is, is a mountain. It's, it's just impossible. I, I, would, I like the thought of being generous, but there's just no way. I, don't, I can't even make ends meet. What'd God say to Gideon? You're not alone. I'm with you. I can do impossible things. And as a church family, we want to walk with you too. We're going to offer uh, on April 11th, Financial Peace University, and the whole purpose of Financial Peace University is to help you get out of debt so you can live generously. The details are on our website, but this is a simple step that you can take to pay down debt and to, to learn how to live this way. Or maybe you find yourself saying, 
This last year has ruined me. I'm done. It's too late for me. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. I'm alone. I'm tired. I don't have my people. What did God say to Gideon? You're not alone. I'm with you. I can do impossible things. And as a church family, we want you to know you're not alone. We would love to help you find a group, to join a group of people where you can study scripture, people that will pray with you, people that will walk the journey of life with you. And those groups are like small churches inside the bigger church. We'd love to help you find those. We're gonna launch some new groups after Easter. Let us know how we can help. We'd love to help you find a place to serve so you can get to know some people around here. And on Sundays when you show up, you have your people. You don't have to sit by yourself. You don't have to go through life by yourself. Because just like Gideon, fear has a way of of grabbing a hold of us and each one of us in a different way. And so what are you afraid of? What is taking your courage away from you right now? Can you imagine what would happen if we would live like Gideon and say, God, I trust that you can do the impossible. I'm gonna turn to you in confidence and trust. You have strength, you have wisdom, you have power that I don't have. Recently, we've been asking our church family to share stories with us of how you've seen God at work and on the move. We love sharing these stories. And I wanna share a story with you of a young family here at Carmel. This is what they say. When we learned about the greater initiative and what Genesis, Genesis was aiming to accomplish, not only in our church, but in the greater community as a whole, we knew we wanted to be all in. Genesis Church quickly became our home during a crazy transition and season of our lives when we were moving back to central Indiana. We knew and recognized in our heads and in our heart that we needed to be giving regularly to the church, but for no reason whatsoever, we just hadn't, even, in our, even at our past churches. Then Greater came along and cemented and convicted us in this area of generosity in a very healthy way. The decision wasn't hard for us. We loved seeing what God was doing in and through Genesis, and we knew that we wanted to tangibly contribute to that. So at first, me and my wife sat down and we made the decision to write out our commitment together, but we knew that our work schedules were gonna be inconsistent. But despite the external factors that we were facing, we were totally at peace with our decision and the the amount that we decided or committed to give. We decided to trust and to seek God in what his, and, and was in turn blessed by his faithfulness. He's been faithful to give us peace and he has provided in some really tangible ways. My wife's work schedule picked up. We were able to refinance our home and both of those gave us some more money that we didn't have before so that we can give to things like greater. And since then, we've learned that we're pregnant with baby number three. They have two three-year-olds right now and all of a sudden they need to purchase a van. Our dishwasher is broken and our vacuum cleaner died and went to heaven. Time out, I've talked to them about this. Vacuum cleaners don't go to heaven, they go straight to hell, okay? (laughs) That's just a fact of life. But here's how they end their story. We feel no pressure or inclination to waver on our commitment to continue to give to what God's doing at Genesis. We know in our heads and in our heart that God always provides and we're excited to continue to be a very small part of what's happening at Genesis Church. Can I just tell you what an honor it is as a pastor to share stories like that, to hear how people are going above and beyond. Young families are saying, we just know God's gonna fill in the gaps. Are we afraid? Yeah, we're nervous, but we trust God's gonna do more than we ever could. So if you have a story like that, we'd love to hear it. We won't share it without your permission, but I wanna invite you to email us at info at genesischurch.me. Those stories are encouraging for us as a staff and it just gives us an idea of how God is, is on the move. 
Because it takes courage to choose to trust God and live that kind of life. And this is what makes Gideon's story so relatable for me and for you. Because Gideon was not born with superpowers. He didn't even trust in his own abilities. But once he learned that he could trust God at his word, what happened? His fear was transformed to faith. And as a result, don't miss this, as a result, the people around him started to take note of God. His people started to realize God is real. God is, God is legit. I want, to, I, want to, I want a part of that. But there's another important part of Gideon's story that you're not going to read about in a children's book, in a children's Bible. And it's not heroic. It's actually really, really tragic. It's found at the end of Judges 8. The Israelites come to Gideon and say, we want you to be our king. And Gideon says, I'm not going to be your king and my son isn't going to be your king. That's not the way God wants things to work. But then he does say this, I do have one request that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. Now, this is a theme that comes up on occasion. I don't know what the deal was with earrings. They were made of gold. But Gideon says, I'd like to have some of those. I don't need to be your king, but I would like some of your wealth. And he takes it and he makes it into a garment of gold. Check this out in verse 27. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which is basically like a long shirt. He placed it in his hometown and all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. Some translations say they hoard after it. Those are Bible words. Those are very serious words. And they, they worshiped it instead of God. Here's the cycle of sin that's gonna pick up. But here's the detail that we really need to pay attention to. It became a snare a trap to Gideon and his family. It wrecked Gideon's legacy. So what threatens to ensnare you? There's so many things in the world, so many entrapments. It might be that secret addiction that you don't think anyone knows about, to alcohol or drugs. Let's be honest, we live in a culture where pornography is just, it's acceptable but it's destroying you and you're gonna to need to do something about it. Or maybe you've taken the more socially acceptable approach. You just binge on entertainment, you live your life on social media, or like many of us, we just decide I'm gonna hoard my money for myself, I'm gonna buy a bunch of stuff that's gonna make me feel better, but it will distract us away from God every single time. I've heard one pastor wisely say this, he says, if money is first in your life, Jesus isn't. And that's a snare. That's a trap. And that's why this greater initiative is so important to our church family. It's not about the dollar amount. It is about making disciples and helping people find their way back to God. And that is why we have chosen John 3.30 to be our theme. He, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. And that is going to require us to sacrifice the two things that are most valuable to us, our time and our money. There are so many snares in the world and, and the enemy would want you to think, ah, they're not that dangerous. Just go ahead and dabble. That's what he did to Gideon. But they are gonna turn our attention away from God and they'll, they'll end up ruining us in the end. So I want you to pay attention to this. This is what we see play out in Gideon's life. He starts off as a fearful peasant. He is doubtful of God's power in his life. But eventually, he becomes a mighty warrior and he says, God can do anything. God, my trust, my faith, my hope is in you. But man, his life ends and he's a forgetful fool. 
And he's kind of like, yeah, been there, done that. I don't really need God. I, I think I got this on my own as long as I got my stuff. Now, by show of hands, drop us a comment if this is true. Do you want that to be true for you or for your kids or for our church family? Of course not. Nobody wants to die a forgetful fool. We all want to be the mighty warrior. But here's what's, here's what's true. That cycle that we see in Gideon's life and in the Israel life, is that not true in your life too? It is so easy to turn away from God. And when we sin, we're just worshiping something that's not, that's not God. And the enemy would want to say, ah, you blew it, you're done. But here's the good news. This is why Jesus has come to rescue us. He, he knows that's the cycle. He has come to save us from this. And so for those of us that follow Jesus, we need to be reminded. We need to pray for his help and say, will you please show me where the snares are? What is dragging me away from you? But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know your biggest snare is death. You're, we are all destined to die, but Jesus says, when your faith is in me, I will give you life that you can't give yourself because Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins and he rose from the dead to prove he is the better Gideon. He never allowed sin to ensnare him or pull him away from his heavenly father. So when we put our trust in Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. We are restored in a right relationship with our heavenly father and the spirit of God that hovered over the earth and creation lives inside of us. And he gives us wisdom and he gives us strength and he gives us courage and he gives us hope that we don't have inside of us. It is his gift to us. And so if you have never placed your trust in Jesus, today could be the day. Drop us a comment. We will follow up with you, I promise. If you're in the room, I'd love to talk to you about that decision, but don't leave here today letting the world ensnare you and pull you away from God. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're ensnared, I want to invite you to come find me or Kevin. If you need to confess something cool, we're happy to pray with you, but don't do this by yourself. That's not the message of Gideon's life. God says, I am with you. You don't have to. You're not meant to do this alone. And so if you're ready to surrender to Jesus, or if you need to talk to somebody, you can come find me right now or find me after service, but don't leave here today on your own because the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this ancient story that's been captured down. And you know, it's pretty amazing. You do some amazing things, but it's also believable because of the human heart and our condition to just pull ourselves away from you over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the things that ensnare us, to the things that pull us away from you, would you help us as followers of Jesus to repent and to turn away from those things and to turn to you and to seek the life that you give us, Jesus? But for my friends that are, that are streaming with us today or anyone in the room, Holy Spirit, would you speak to their heart very clearly? Would you help them to know they can overcome the snare of death by putting their hope and trust in you, Jesus? Father, would you bless this greater initiative? Regardless of what the financial number is, we are just hoping and we are trusting that you are leading us to a better future. It's been great, but we're going someplace better. Would you do something so amazing in our church family that when we look back, we said, gosh, it didn't make sense. COVID hit, none of it added up. 
We were just standing there with trumpets and scented candles and God fought the battle for us. Would you help us to live that kind of life for you, Jesus? We love you and we praise you. It is in your great name we pray, amen.